The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father God, we come to you and amidst uh, the heat and the distractions and technology and air conditioning units and all of those things. Father God, I just know that you are with us. Father God, we know that we are planting seeds and sometimes after you plant the seeds, there's a little bit of a drought and then there's a whole lot of rain. And Father God, we just pray right now that you continue to um, to be with the seeds that we're planting here. Yes, God. God, keep sending the rain, keep sending the sunshine, send what we need at the right time. Father God, I just pray for each person that's in this room today. Lord, I thank you for each person yes. that's here. Yes. And Father God, I just ask that you move and speak to us today um, through this study and through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 She was praying that prayer, and I and the first thing I thought was, we need a little miracle grow. You you seen that on the commercials? A miracle grow that helps plants grow faster. We need a little miracle grow to make that happen. So, um, we are we are excited to continue this whole process of teaching you what questions to ask yourself as you're learning how to be a disciple maker. And so we start off by telling you that to ask, am I fervently pursuing my faith? And in that, we talked a lot about how you individually grow in Christ. Uh, then we went to, am I invested completely? We want you to be thinking of it in four different areas. When I think, am I invested in the mission completely? These four areas, be engaged, give, grow, and share. So we've already gone through being engaged and giving. We've been talking last week and this week about growing. And because we already talked about how to grow in our individual faith, this kind of grow, we're really talking about the corporate idea of growth. And so last week we talked about growing as a team. And this week we are still talking about growing together. So am I invested completely is the question we're asking. Um, and what that does is that allows you to think about how you're handling each of those situations. Am I engaged when I'm, at, uh, when I'm with a gathering of believers? Am I engaged with some people that can help me grow? Am I engaged with some people that I can help to grow? Um, am I giving the way God is asking me to give as a steward of life? Not just your money, but your time, your talent, your resources, all of those things. How am I exhibiting what, uh, what it looks like to live for Jesus with my life as I give? And then growing corporately. And so... We thought about, I've really been wrestling this week about what it looks like, what, what a growing church looks like. And so that's what our consider question is today. I want you to just take 10 seconds here and just think about, 
the answer that you might have to this question. What does a growing church look like? Okay, so we're going to be in 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Basically, when we look at the verse above it in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, in verse 12, basically we find out that Paul is in prison again. <laughs> okay, and he's there, and he he is been slowly writing to the different churches and he's been writing to Timothy who Timothy was um, basically the, the the guy he was mentoring so we're going to start in verse 13 are you guys there say amen, amen. awesome right. hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even... Fugelis and Hermogenes. Right. May the Lord show special kindness to... Onesiphorus. And all his family, because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to me in Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. And I would even just add to one, and I'll, I'll explain why here in a second. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing. This is the last letter that we have of Paul. He's, he is getting ready to pass... Uh, pass on. We, and we know that uh, he's going to be martyred later. Um, but uh, he's writing this and he senses that his days are numbered. And so at the end of the letter, he starts talking about that and just saying, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He's, he's recognizing he's done the ministry that God has called him to do. And he is now ready to pass that on to someone else. And so Timothy is one of the ones he's passing it on to. Timothy is in Ephesus and he's going to be leading the Ephesian church. He probably has had some leadership uh, responsibilities, and that's why 1 Timothy was written to him, and now he's in 2 Timothy. Yes, Naberto. Um, some of the things on there, like different stories, it seems like everybody's saying goodbye, mm -hmm. farewell, like they knew that was going to happen to them. Yes, mm -hmm. that's right. And I even thought about doing this kind of as a, uh, as if we were the first century church and we were receiving this letter for the first time. It had been given to Timothy, and, but Timothy had passed it along to us and we were just going to read through the entire letter and talk about it as if we had just discovered this letter and no one had ever read it before after Timothy. Um, and what we would find if we did that is there's a lot of goodbye in this from Paul. And so he's doing everything he can to, um, to prepare Timothy for when he's not there. So this is why we chose this passage is because this is, this is Paul preparing Timothy for when he's leading on his own and what it looks like for him to grow inside of a gathering that he's a part of where he is one of the teachers. Um, the reason we want to do that is because here at the jar, we believe everyone's called to be a disciple maker. 
So it may be that you are not called to lead a church gathering. It may be that you are not called to pastor or to preach from a pulpit. It may be that you're not going to necessarily lead a small group or teach a Sunday class or something like that. Uh, but there will be someone who knows less than you about Jesus in your life. There will always be someone who knows less than you. And because of that, we want you to be prepared in the same way that Paul is preparing Timothy. Because it has been my experience, you learn more when you're teaching than you do when you're just learning. There is a greater engagement from you whenever you are the one responsible for giving the information. You want to know, especially something as important as this, you want to know you're right. So you're going to do everything you can to try to get it right. And because of that, you actually learn more to teach than you do yes. just to learn. Does that yes. make sense? So we're going to take a look at that. And I, I want to take a look at verses 13 of chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2. So... These are just ways that Paul is telling Timothy to be ready to pass on what the gospel that he's been given. So in 13, he says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. So listen to me, no matter how much you know about the Bible, there's someone who knows more than you as well. And if you are not taking time to learn from someone who knows more than you, that there are, is a chance that you will get to the place where God st starts looking more like you than he does like him. What I mean by that is we all have our own pet peeves in our own way. We'd like to see things in our own perspective. And sometimes when we just study on our own, we can see things in there that really have to do with what we hope God is like instead of what God is actually like. And when there's somebody above us who's speaking into us, then it checks that and it helps us to see a different perspective. Um, we were listening to a sermon this morning and uh, some, this guy was preaching on the manna of heaven and it was a completely different perspective than anything I'd ever heard before. So I'm learning from this guy and that's going to make me a better teacher when I go to teach that passage again someday, right? But if I stop learning, not only will I only be able to give as much as I've gotten, I will also start changing it a little bit to fit my own perspective instead of God's perspective. And so the first thing he does is he says, hey, hold on to the pattern of the wholesome teaching that you learned from us. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Then if you add chapter 2 verse 1, he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. So what's he saying here? He's saying the spirit is important in this process and that we need to operate in the faith, love, and grace that are in Christ Jesus. The way that we can be prepared is to remember that that's the process. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit who leads us in the faith, leads us in the love and leads us in the favor or the grace in Christ Jesus. And so as we go, we're remembering from the very beginning that's that it's the spirit that does it for us that um, instead of us being the ones on the hook to, to, to manage it. So when I go to teach someone else, I need to be open to what the spirit is saying to me as I'm teaching them. And the way I can know that it's the Holy Spirit is that it, it coincides with something the Bible teaches, something I learned from the Bible, because the Spirit is not going to speak against Christ and is not going to speak something that's not in the Scripture. So I'm relying on that Spirit to help me with these three things. Faith, 
Uh, faith is not just, the faith that's in the Bible is not just saying, I believe in so-and-so. Faith in the Bible, pistis in the Greek, means I believe so much in so-and-so that I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to do things the way he says to do it. It's an allegiance to Jesus. So he says, rely on the Spirit who's going to lead you in this, uh, this desire to be in allegiance with Jesus and to do what he's asked us to do. Okay? Jesus said it this way, abide in me and I will abide in you. Okay? If you love me, you will keep my commands. But he also says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have to recognize that all of that's to work for us. The love of Christ Jesus is agape love. It is unconditional love. It's the love that God had for us when he sent his son to die for us and we were his enemies. He sent his son to die for us when we didn't even believe in God. He sent his son to die for us before we had ever understood what faith was. That is an unconditional love. So we recognize that that love doesn't change after we say yes. As a matter of fact, it deepens after we say yes. So the more faith we have in God, it's not that he loves us more, it's that we recognize the depth of his love better because of that. And then the last thing is grace. And yes, grace has to do with our salvation, but grace is unmerited favor. Grace means that the blessing and favor of Jesus is on us because of our faith in him and his love for us and our love for him. And it all works together. Do you see that? So first thing Paul says is, here's how you're prepared. I taught you everything that God had taught me. And the big part of that was rely on the spirit to lead you into the faith, love, and grace of Jesus Christ. And I want to add something there when it says in verse 14, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. That precious truth goes along with what our passage is for here at the jar. Right, we hold this treasure yes. in jars, jars of clay. Of clay. Yes. What is that treasure or that precious truth? That's the good news of Jesus Christ, right? So Paul's not saying guard it so much that you don't share it with other people. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this is a precious treasure. This is a precious jewel, a precious gem that I have given you. And I want, I'm entrusting that truth to you. And I want you to put it in your heart, lock it in your heart so that nobody can take it or pull it away from your heart. Does that make sense? Right. It's in you now, this grace, this truth, this faith, this love. I've given it to you, and I, it's precious, okay? But like I said, he's not saying we shouldn't share that, that jewel or that good right. news, because he's right. going to go on later to talk about that. That's right. But what he is saying is, I want you to remember that this is precious, what I've given you, right. okay? So now there's a little almost like a parenthetical, like a, like an aside, like I'm talking about this. And then all of a sudden he, he kind of gets a little distracted by Squirrel. some things that have gone on. <laughs> and he says this in verse uh, 15, <coughs> as you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even, even Fugelis and Hermogenes. Now think about that. We have people who are not attending church right now because a few people inside the church offended them. All of Asia turned against Paul. And he's in prison, and he is still preaching again. the gospel. Yeah, again. And, again. again. and he is still <laughs> preaching the gospel. Yeah. So he's saying, look, I could, it's almost like he's saying, I could, I could focus on this. All of Asia has, Asia has deserted me. Fugelis and Hermogenes have caused me trouble. But he, so he spends one verse on that, and then he spends three verses on Onesiphorus. One verse on the trouble, three verses on the one 
who showed him love. He says in verse 16, May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family, because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And then he says, by the way, this is his nature. This is his character. You know how he was in Ephesus. He was the same way in Ephesus that he was with me. Listen to me. Whenever you are in a church setting, you are gathering with other believers. You are going to have politics. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have misunderstandings. Because people okay? are messy. Because people are messy. And you're going to have some people who are professing Christ but are not living for Christ. And so they, are, they, they say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but they have not yet got to the place where they're living for him. And so even though we believe that God has saved them, it's as though through a fire, as Peter would say. Um, so we need to recognize that they are still needing to be worked on by God. If we focus on them and make our decision to be a part of the gathering based on them, we're going to be in a bad place. But what we need to do is look for the ones who want to grow. Look for the ones who want to grow. Now, that doesn't mean we, we avoid the others, but we don't concentrate on the others. Does that make sense? Instead of focusing on the ones that offend us, focus on the ones that want to learn from us and teach us. And when we do that, we will find that we have more faith and love and grace for the ones who offend us. Right. So Paul is saying in this little aside, look, Timothy, even I had a whole region turn against me. You should probably expect that. Don't spend too much time on them. Look for the ones that want to grow. And if you look for the ones that want to grow, then you will be able to, to not only experience growth yourself, but help them grow. That makes sense. And I think especially in the culture that we're in now, and you all know our hearts here at the JAR, we want to not just reach the believers, but also the, the not yets, mm -hmm. right? And I think in the culture that we're in with our not yets, it's going to take time for them to trust us. Right. So they may come for two or three weeks, and then we may not see them for two or three months, right? And then they may come for three months, and then we may not see them for six months. That's part of it. And, and then we may have some who immediately accept Christ and, and are able to start coming regularly. So just be prepared for that. Be prepared for the fact that they meet, that the Holy Spirit is working on them, right? That it's going to take them time to get to the place that that maybe they are finally ready to grow so it's not our place to tell them you've got to grow right this minute that's the that's the god that's god's job right we plant the seeds god grows the fruit right so just remember we that's why we always say we want to create a an open environment a welcoming environment where they know even if they come for a month and they're not quite sure yet. They're not yet. But, th but we loved on them and we, we told them, you are always welcome here, right? Then they're more likely to come back in six months. And maybe this time, they'll be ready for God to sprinkle whatever he needs to sprinkle on them to grow, right? Because remember what we've always said, God's a gentleman. He's never going to force himself on somebody. He's always going to wait for them to say, Lord, I'm ready. Here I am. Help me to grow. Okay. Right. That's good stuff. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> and that's, 
It's important for us to remember that God had to do the same thing with us. Mm -hmm. When I first gave my life to Christ, I got rid of some of my bigger sins and thought I'd accomplish something. And I found out there was all these middle-sized sins that I didn't know anything about. I didn't even know they were sins. And then I'm fine. Oh my goodness, I got to work on that. And if I got, and this is how C.S. Lewis says, uh, if I, you get rid of all your middle sins, you find there's some small sins. And when you get rid of the small ones, there's some petty ones. You get rid of the petty, you're always being worked on by God, this side of heaven. Perfection, he, he saves you and you are now perfect because God sees Jesus instead of seeing you. But as you're working through this life, he is using your transformation as a testimony to others. And that's never going to stop this side of the grave. So we need to do everything we can to learn from the people around us and to recognize that there are some that are growing that can help us with that. So then um, Timothy, or, uh, Paul goes on to Timothy. Uh, I'm going to read first, verse 1 again. It says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So he's saying you need to look around and you need to do your best to teach others what you have been learning. So in other words, when we're talking about growing together, we need to get others involved. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. It was never meant to be an isolated faith. It's not something you can just have when you're in the deer stand or on the fishing boat. It's not just something you can do by praying and, and worshiping on your way to work in your car. It is meant to be done in community because when we gather in community, we give people an opportunity to see the kingdom working. And so God is always going to have us drawing into community, whether it's two or three or four or two or 3,000, that's up to him and up to your circumstances. And sometimes God is gracious to us and he lets it be up to our preferences. So maybe we don't like big churches, so we go to a small church. And that's our preference. But God will meet you in that small church just like he will in that large church. Okay? Um, but we need, to, we need to recognize that others have to be involved for us to grow. The Bible says this in a number of ways. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? Uh, Pastor Steve's favorite passage where he talks about a threefold cord is not easily broken. Um, there, but there are all kinds of things inside of the New Testament that say similar things. Ephesians 4 says that God gave us apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists so that they can build others up for works of service. They, their intention isn't for them to just be the, the professional Christians. The intention is for them to speak into others and bring them up to do the work of God in their lives. So we have to get others involved. We have to recognize that even though we're not necessarily a church leader, we are an influence for the people that are around us. And I'm just going to be honest with you. You see some people during the week that I will never see. Mm -hmm. And if we're waiting for me or for Pastor Kerry to meet, to, to get to them, they may, that may never happen, but they do see you. And there's an opportunity for you then to pass along what you have learned. So here's a great exercise for those of you who are, who've been at this for a little while and you're trying to figure out, okay, what does that look like? When you hear a message that is from the Bible, from a, someone who's teaching it or sharing it or preaching it, as you're listening, listen with two ears. One of them for yourself. 
What do I need in order for me to be a better disciple maker for God? But the other ear is for others. What do I hear that I can think, oh, I can share that with Sally down the street, or I can share that with Joe. Joe really needs to hear that. So I listen with one ear for myself and the other ear for the people in my life that I might be able to share it with. Might be a, a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a grandchild, it might be a friend, it might just be somebody at Walmart. But if you are listening for the thing that you're learning that you can share, then when the time comes and God creates, because I know he does this, he creates those opportunities. There are divine appointments. Every time you meet a person, they were made in the image of God. So if you meet a person, it's a divine appointment. And there's an opportunity there for you to share what you learned with them. And that gets you in the idea of sharing which is what we're going to start talking about next week. I have an example of that that mm. just happened this past week. So those you got most of you all were with us when we went through John uh, when we very first started back in August as a small small group and then we were going through John and we were sharing the story about Jesus turning the tables in the temple. Yeah. And uh, we had taught on that and how Jesus had sat there and had made the the, the cord. He had made the whip before he ever said anything about turning the tables. And this is a prime example of how one ear to, to learn for yourself and one ear to, to help other people. I had a, um, a patient's daughter who was just really struggling with caregiving right now and struggling with um, anger issues. And so we were talking and she said, she brought God up in the conversation and she said, she's even Jesus lost it, you know, got angry and stuff. And I said, you're right. And so then we start talking, and I said, and you know what he did, the two things he did before he did that? And so I was able to share about how he saw what was happening in the temple, went back with his guys overnight to pray, then came back and saw it again and still didn't respond right away. He, he was making the whip one little thing at a time. And so I was able to share that story with her and what we learned from that story, and in that moment was able to help her through the, the feelings that she was having. And it was great. So there's that one where, on one hand, I had learned a lot when we taught it together. On the other hand, I was able to then share that with her in a way that was able to help her in that moment from what had been taught. So this is what really we mean. Yeah, it's per perfect. This is what we mean when we talk about being filled to be emptied. So it would, it would be one thing for us to learn something like that and to start putting it to practice in our lives. And just the example of that can be a, an influence for somebody around us. But when we see it in someone else and we have an opportunity to impart God's wisdom to someone else, then we are emptying that truth that we received, not just the love and the grace and the faith that we have, but the truth that we received into them. And that can help them to grow as well. And the great thing is, sometimes you can share that and you haven't even let them know that you're talking about God yet. You're just sharing the wisdom and they go, wow, that's, thank you so much. I really need to hear that. And it's always fun to say, yeah, I learned that in church. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, I learned that from God. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how Jesus feels about it. Because they go, oh, I mean, Jesus has something to say about real life. The Bible talks to real life. Like, and so just recognize that that's an opportunity. And that's as much a witness as actually sharing yeah. the gospel with someone. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's move on. Um, this, these three verses go together. They are three pieces to the same idea, okay? Verse three, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying and the Lord will help you understand all of these things. Well, I thought, well, if that's what we're supposed to do, if that's what Timothy was supposed to do, we should do the same thing, right? Let's think about what he's saying and see if God doesn't help us understand it, okay? So the first thing he says is endure suffering. Guess what that means? If you're going to follow Jesus, guess, what, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be suffering. But you endure suffering with, with the people around. He says, along with me. He doesn't say endure suffering on your own. He says, do it with me, right? As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. How do soldiers endure suffering? They know there are orders that need to be obeyed. They know that there is a mission that needs to be accomplished. And regardless of what suffering they get on the way, they are still going to be focused on the orders that they got and the mission that they're trying they're, to accomplish. They're disciplined. They are disciplined. That's mm -hmm. right. And so what this is telling us is it's going to be hard work, but because it's going to be hard work, you need to be prepared for suffering. And the way you handle suffering is by being disciplined and remembering what the uh, command is and what the mission is. What are you trying to accomplish? Okay. And then, so then he thinks, well, not everybody's a soldier. Not everybody knows a soldier. Maybe they all don't understand. So I'm going to give him another example. And he says, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Every once in a while, you see this in, in, uh, in sports where somebody has trained and gotten themselves to a peak level of performance. They are now an Olympian. They are now a major league baseball player. They're now an NFL player. They're now uh, doing something and they're getting paid lots of money to do the thing. And they all want one thing, the championship, right? They can do all of that training. They can be prepared. They can have all of the skills, but if they don't follow the rules, they'll never win the championship. They've got to stay within the guidelines of the game. So if I want to be the best pitcher in the world, I can't move up 15 feet so that it's, har it's harder to hit my, sh my pitch because you don't have as much time to react. I have to pitch from the mound. I have to follow the rules. And so what Paul is saying is, look, it's going to be difficult, but you need to remember that God has rules. Don't try to do God's things unless you're willing to do it God's way. You try to do God's things without doing it God's way, he can't bless it. Because then it's you that's doing it and not him. But if you do God's things God's way, then God gets the glory for it. Because they see that in you. And, and you can say, I, I know that I could do it like this, but I know God doesn't want me to. I'm going to do it this way. And I'm going to stay within his guidelines. And you're going to win a crown for that. You're going to win the championship for that. You're going to get the thing in life that you need the most. And the thing in, in life you need the most is not the trophy. The thing in life you need the most is the character grooming that his rules give us. The character grooming that walking in the spirit gives us. And so we need to, that's a different kind of discipline, but the same idea. So then we go to the third one. Which is basically like the farmers, which we talked about several weeks ago. That's right. They got to work extremely hard. Remember I showed you all a picture of the, of the tractor and the truck and how um, up in northern Indiana, when they go to plow or harvest time, uh, plant and harvesting time for that two months, you'll see them out round the clock 24 hours with their lights on in the middle of the night because they're working diligently and, and working hard 
to get their seeds planted or to get the crops harvested. And what Paul says basically is work extremely hard, but be patient. Ooh, to be patient, that's a hard one. <laughs> be patient. And none of us like to be patient, especially in our culture. We don't like to be patient. But he's telling us, be patient, keep going despite your suffering because of the thought of victory, the vision of winning, and most importantly, hope of the harvest. Right? Hold on to your hope. Keep working hard and knowing that it's going to produce the fruit and the crop that you're wanting. Recognize too. And I learned this from, uh, from one of our farmer friends. You can do everything right and work as hard as you want to, but the crop is relying on God, not you. You can get, you get everything right, and if God does not want that crop to grow, it will not grow. You, you don't, in other words, you don't have control. You can never look into it and say, I'm going to control this so that it works. What you have to do is say, I know that there is a certain way that, that I'm supposed to do these things. And there are certain things I'm supposed to do. And as I do them, I'm going to rely on the possibility that the harvest is coming. Because at the same time, God can also cause that crop to go wild and have a greater harvest than you ever expected. And the only way we know if there's going to be any harvest at all is if we do the hard work but we can't do the hard work and then decide if it was worth it by what kind of crop we get if we didn't get a good crop we have to ask questions about why that is we can say okay well i guess i i didn't get as much rain this time so i'm going to give it more water next year and the next year comes along and you're all ready to give it more water and there's floods every season has a different circumstance so what we've got to do is do the hard work anyway. So all, these are three different ways for Paul to say, realize it's going to be hard work. Well, what I want to say is God is the seed giver. Yeah. We're the ones. He puts the seeds in our hands. What happens with those seeds a lot of times depends on what we give to him and what we trust him with, right? He gives us the seeds. He's the seed giver. It's up to us to be the one to then say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with those seeds? How often do you want me to water them? How often do you want me to plant them? Where do you want me to plant them? What do you want me to do with them? Right? He entrusts us. That goes back to earlier, right? He entrusts us with that treasure. Yeah. That yeah. treasure. And he entrusts us with that truth and those seeds of truth. And he wants us to plant those. And how humbling and how honoring it is when he gives us those seeds. He loves us enough to say, I'm going to give you these seeds, but don't hold on to them. Don't put them in a box, in a closet, and store it away. Because what happens to a seed when you put it in a box and store it away? Nothing. Nothing. There's no fruit. There's no harvest from it. But if we pull that seed out that he gives us and we plant it in the right place at the right time, and we do, and we follow his guidance and his will, and we work hard, and we trust him, and we discipline. And we do it his way. And do it his way. Now we're going to have a little bitty seed that then becomes something magnificent if we entrust him to do that. With, you know, he trusts us, and we trust him. Right. And, and I, I loved what the pastor said this morning. He said, God always says, I will if you will. God says that throughout all scripture. 
It's a partnership, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants, but he entrusts us with that seed. I think it's just beautiful. Yeah, and it, you talked about it. it is. It's I tr- I'm trusting you, and, and I'm tr- we're trusting God, and God's trusting us. But Paul deals with that at the end of in the middle of chapter 2 where he says in verse 11 and 12 if we die with him we also live with him if we endure hardship we will reign with him if we deny him he will deny us and then verse 13 but if we are unfaithful he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is he cannot disown himself he is going to be faithful anyway here's the thing so I'm gonna go back up through all of these 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 are important but the last one is the most important okay So the first one we talked about was rely on the Spirit who leads us to the faith, love, and grace in Jesus Christ. As we do that, look for the ones who want to grow because it's important for you to get others involved, right? Realize that it's going to be hard work. But the last part is verses 8 through 10. Don't forget why we're doing this. Listen to Paul's words. Always remember that Jesus Christ... A descendant of King David was raised from the dead, and this is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering, and I've been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those that God has chosen. This is why we do what we do. And I, when he says... I. I've been changed like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be changed. We immediately think of the Bible when we hear the word of God. But John tells us that's not the word. John says in his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word is Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I may be chained, but no one can chain Jesus. I may be chained, but he's loose and running rampant all over everyone else's spiritual lives. He wants to reach as many as possible. It is God's will that all men might be saved, he says to Timothy in another part. The mission of the church is not to grow in number. The mission of the church is to influence people and enlarge the kingdom of God. But as we do, guess what's going to happen? There are going to be more people in here because they're going to be more excited about what God is doing. And then we'll be able to teach them to go reach more people. And if I get one more and you get one more, we got two. And if if four of us get one more, we got eight. And if the eight of us get one more, we got 16. God's economy works that way. And the harvest is always plentiful. And the workers, he says, are usually few. Will you be a worker for Christ? Will you be growing in and for Christ? Will you be one of the ones that God uses to reach the next person to enlarge the kingdom, to have one more say yes to Jesus, to have one more who is looking forward to heaven, to have one more who can reach one more? And that is what it means for us to grow together. So when we gather together, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about when we gather together, each person should have a a hymn or a a Bible verse or a a revelation or a a lesson or a prophecy or something, testimony. Um, If we're coming together and all we're talking about is how good the day is and whether or not the Texas Rangers won their game or or the Cowboys got beat again, woohoo! 
Sorry, I had to throw that in. Um, <clears throat> um, if, if that's all we're doing, then we're missing the point of our gathering. Our gathering should be, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? I was praying for so-and-so. Did you hear anything about that? Hey, um, will you guys pray for this person? I'm talking to them at work and they don't know Jesus yet. I'd really like to be able to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Those kinds of conversations should be happening while we're here. Because this is where we can gather and have people who understand and agree with us and can pray with us and promote that opportunity in us to go reach that person. Let me share what God promises if we do that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13, he said, This will continue, right? He's talking about the gifts and all the things you're talking about, equipping God's people and mm -hmm. being a part of the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I don't know about you all, but I want to continue to learn more and more about who God is. I want to be a mature believer. I don't want to stay a baby forever. I want to walk and run and leap and praise him, right, because of who he is. And then it says, and then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body in the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's Ephesians chapter four, four. Starting in verse 13. Starting in verse 13. And that's the promise he gives us. When we start to do this and we start growing and maturing in our faith, then more and more people will see that and he's, he's gonna mature us, he's gonna grow us, and we're gonna be stronger together. And that's why it's important for us to gather with other believers so that we can grow together. We grow separately, we grow individually, we fervently pursue our faith. But we also realize that to be invested completely in the mission, we have to learn to grow together. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled.